0: Hey there. My name is Linda Monaghan and it is my mission to help you grow your business, improve your life and find your calm, whatever that may be. Welcome to the Corporate to Calm Podcast, where you learn from their experience hey there you are very welcome to today's episode of corporate cam where i have a huge huge treat for you guys i am speaking with ellen gunning she is the founder of the irish academy of public relations she is the founder of metacoms where she refers to herself as a data prophet and you will see why in the interview she is the or queen. And if you are contacting Ellen in a PR crisis, the SHIT has hit the fan, as she says herself. This is such an eye-opening, inspirational interview. And honestly, I got so much out of it. I hope you guys get as much as I did. Please enjoy Ellen Gunning's journey from corporate to CAM.
1: Hey there, you are very welcome to this episode of Corporate Cam. I am joined by Ellen Gunning. I'm so pleased um, that she's here. Hello, Ellen. How are you? Delighted to be joining you, Linda. I'm good. Good, good. I'm glad. Listen, we're going to dive straight into it. Please tell me um, a little bit about you, a little bit about what you're at now. um, we'll, We'll dive into it.
2: Well, my background is in public relations, so I got into PR... Actually, I get into PR by a very circuitous route. I was involved in a number of voluntary organisations. So, Vincent de Paul, the Summer Project, the Residence Association on Tashka, and everybody kept asking me to do PR. So, we will be PRO, and I loved it. Um, so, I studied PR and formed my own PR consultancy 30-odd years ago. Um, and I've been doing that. I did PR for about, maybe for about 10 years, kind of full-time. Um, I served on the board of the PR Institute. I was on their education body. And once I went down to their education council, I got really interested in the whole education and training area. So I formed Irish Academy of Public Relations. That's about 25 years old now, I think, could be a little bit older. Um, and that literally provides four different types of training. So we do um, diploma training. So if you're coming into the industry, we'll train you. We do upskilling. So those courses that you can take like at midnight when you go, oh, my God, I really need to get a handle on Instagram for a client for tomorrow morning. (laughs) So you can do that quick fix piece. And we do corporate training and we do um, charities, which is a different it's a different focus because charities have different audiences and they have different needs. So we do those four areas of training. The only type of PR I still handle is crisis PR. It says something about my personality. I just I love it. I love a phone call that says, oh, my God, you won't believe what's just happened. It's like <laughs> clear the decks, My people need me. Um, so that's great fun. And then about during Covid, I think I travel a lot. I've written the book that students studied globally which is great right well actually it's, it's amazing when I, I pitched the book it never dawned on me that people in the industry would actually read it and evaluate it and I never actually thought that I would meet people who go you're Ellen Gunning oh you're Ellen Gunning you wrote the book oh I studied your book and it's just it's really freaky now altogether. but it's if you have to tell us what it's called Ellen you'll have to tell public relations a practical approach it's the core text that students study at third level throughout the world. It's, it's it, fantastic. So it means I'm, I'm invited to talk at conferences around the world because of it, which is brilliant. But when COVID struck, it meant that my all of my travel stopped. And I began to wonder, but I'm a serial networker. So literally I would, if I, when I went to Australia to speak at the Mumbrella CommsCon in Sydney, I reached out to people I didn't know and said, I'm in PR, you're in comms. Can we meet? I'll tell you what I see happening in Ireland and Europe. Can you tell me what you see happening in Australia? Because I'm a comms geek, right? I I just really enjoy this. So literally when it stopped, I thought, what's the thread? What am I learning? And what I I pulled together was data was a huge issue for PR. The volume, the speed, the amount of data coming at people, just trying to get a handle on what's happening in the world right now. And that's where it started from. And then I figured, well, you can pretty much find out if you're – if you buy a brand, I can pretty much find out everything about you at the moment. All of the tools are out there. So I can find out what you think, what you think of our reputation. I can get share of voice. I can see what you're saying on social media. I can target you and pretty much build a photo of a picture of you. But what nobody can do is tell me what you as this consumer are likely to believe in. What's your value set? What are you going to be concerned about in the future? And that's what created MetaComs. So MetaComs effectively. MetaComs I started in 2019. Uh, MetaComs is the new baby, and MetaComs is it's a combine. It's a platform that combines artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, and basically pulls data from a mass of sources like millions of data sets. I actually said to her, I have no background in technology, but we recruited a chief technical officer, and I said to her at one stage because I, I didn't want to miss um, align what we were doing. And I said to her, Is it true to say that we're pulling in millions of data sets? And she said, No. And I said, Okay, should any idiot can pull in millions of data sets? We pull in millions of appropriate data sets, which I loved. <laughs> so uh, it's the reason why I'm now called a data prophet, right? Because okay. I, I can understand. What we need to pull from data, I understand how much data is out there. I can see the power of what it can do, but I have absolutely no technological ability whatsoever. So Metacoms gives you a look at the future. It gives you tiny little embryonic trends. It doesn't tell you what the future will be because nobody knows. Mm. But it says, here are the things that we're seeing as possibly things that might influence you. And if you think about it, the politicians need to know what's in the future because they're planning roads and housing and social welfare um companies need to know because they're they're strategizing for uh, for food if you look at food and the future production of food that, that has a massive impact on anybody who's running a co-op so every single area that you look at needs to know the future so that's what metacoms
1: does and that's what we're building at the moment and with and i have have had the privilege of listening to you talk about the future and 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 the data and everything is there anything um it just it struck me now is there anything that frustrates you that we should have done by now um as far as i, I i'm talking about a, a localized um, decision like if you look at your metacoms and is there something that you know um that we could have done from um, a transport perspective or from a social perspective in this country and you're looking at data now going god we really have missed the boat on that or you know is there is there something um you could take every single sector and look at changes that could have been made or things that could have been done
2: differently I think the biggest challenge is that politicians really haven't got on top of artificial intelligence okay I think that's the biggest challenge yeah and they should be out in front of it. They're actually yeah. running behind it. Yeah. So if you look at somebody like me, um, I'm looking at predicting pretty much how the future will go. But I can see both the, the benefits and the challenges of artificial intelligence. So if you look at the benefits of artificial intelligence, yeah. it will take away all that grunt work that we do. Right. All that yeah. boring stuff. And it will make it much easier to do. But with that, it, it will bring a huge loss of jobs. there there are jobs that just won't exist or there are jobs that won't need to be 40 hours a week or whatever you simply won't need if you're a doctor why would i need if i can wake up in the morning and know what's wrong with me and i know the the medication that i need or the operation that i need how much time do i need to spend with the doctor it's really if i'm Concerned or stressed, it's mental health issues, maybe that I would need time for. But it's not somebody to say, yes, you're right, you have gallbladder problems and you need to take this medicine or whatever. So that's the really, that's one side of AI. But the other side of artificial intelligence is. If you look at it, and I'm I'm really conscious with MetaComs, we've built this whole, and we're still building this ethical framework around MetaComs. So actually yeah. knowing, being very clear about where we're taking our information from, and that it's very reliable information, and that it's not just information that's out there. So a lot of information that's, if you look at ChatGPT, it sources from the web. But here's yeah. a scary thought for you. So ChatGPT is known to hallucinate. So if you ask ChatGPT a question, it's like a child that doesn't want to upset you. It wants to give you the best answer. So you say, tell me about, There was a great example that I saw recently. I actually wrote a blog about it. Um, It was Sky News were saying that milk had spilled on one of these motorways in the UK. So they asked ChatGPT to do a news report about it. And ChatGPT said all this milk had spilled and that it, it caused this backlog and all of that was correct. And then it went on to say milk was very good for motorway surfaces. And all of this research had been done in different universities. None of it existed. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you think about the nightmare scenario, this is coming back to politicians. So you have ChatGPT producing all of these hallucinations and the hallucinations get posted somewhere on the web. So ChatGPT continues to scrape from the web. Now it's scraping all the hallucinations as part of its information. And it gets to the stage where very quickly you really cannot identify fake news from reality. And that's a huge issue. That's a big, big ethical issue. It's an ethical issue because I need to, if I'm a, a corporate and I'm planning, if I'm a citizen and I'm voting, wearing any hat, I need to know what's real and what's unreal. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's an issue that politicians are very slow to get behind. They should have been behind it a long time ago.
1: I was because I was actually at a, a, um, a, a talk in Microsoft and it was about the e- ethical side of, of of AI. And they don't like even as far in the news um, in the last few weeks, as far as um, education is concerned, it's even like, you know, you say that the horse has bolted. Like, you know, I mean, kids are, are well up on chat GPT, more, more than an AI. And and but it's it's actually arming teachers to realize that it is plagiarized or it is falsified or it is from from a machine as well.
2: It's an interesting one, because from a teacher's point of view, it changes the role of teachers. So teachers with or without AI, teachers were never going to be teaching in the same way in the future. Hmm. So history is history. Why do I need you to stand in front of me in a classroom and tell me how the Second World War came about and what happened? I don't. I can get it on YouTube. I can get it from a million yes, and one yes, different sources. Yes, yes, what yes. I need you as the teacher to do is I need you to say, what would have happened if Hitler had survived? What would have happened if Mussolini hadn't entered the war? It's. I think teachers need to bring out that kind of brain power, that that critical yes. thinking, that strategic thinking in people. But equally, ChatGPT, I think, is a massive resource for education uh, Yeah, because ChatGPT can actually tell you what you should be reading and looking at. So give me the sources that will help to educate my mind. It shouldn't be used to write the, the thesis for you. And quite rightly, they're creating all of these um, software pieces that can identify something that has actually been written by A.I., which yeah. is we're just, we're just fine, because it doesn't matter whether the sources were plagiarized or not, then it hasn't been written by you. And that's the important thing in terms of an exam. But as a resource to find the information that you want to study, I think it's a brilliant resource. Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. And you know what I love about it as a, a person who owns their own business and, you know, is it, under pressure all the time to whether it's produce content or, you know, help clients and, a little ADHD brain on me gives you such tunnel focus that you don't, you know, and it takes the, 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 you know, it it gives you a great map of, of your month of your week, you know, and you can train it to, you know, give you what you need to hear. But I, I I love when I see um, social media posts and it's like all the emojis and the this and the that, and you can, you can tell a chat GPT, Post from a and I'm like you can tell a ChatGPT post
2: you can tell a ChatGPT uh, blog or a piece of text I'm it's like, very identifiable I actually find it great for if I'm getting if I'm writing something and I'm thinking this I'm not really. I'm not getting the excitement into this. I'm writing very factually and it's very accurate, but I'm not getting mm. the excitement into it. And I throw it into ChatGPT and it'll go, wow, completely over the top. And I go, that's fine. Now I know I need somewhere in the middle. And you want go the Goldilocks. The ChatGPT.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it is very identifiable. And actually when we we have people who offer to write blogs for us, for the the website, and I've added on a condition that if you've used um, artificial intelligence, you need to identify that fact at,
1: at the end. I love that. it's
2: really yeah. why would why do I want to publish a post from you if you didn't actually write it? You threw yeah. it into chat GPT. Yeah. I want a post from you. I want your brain,
1: yeah, and, and that you and, see, and I think that's what small business owners need to kind of distinguish between actual if you're if you have a blog, it really needs to be your voice in the blog, but actually your content, the small sound bites of social media. They can be, you know what I mean. They can be run from ChatGPT, but actually, it's your voice that people want to hear, not 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 some AI. It's that authentic
2: piece. Otherwise, yeah.
1: it's it's a machine talking to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Going back to when you started um, tr- the training academy and everything like that, did did you source help? How how do you decide? I'm just going to do this. I know you had the interest in everything like that and the motivation, but it must be such a daunting thing to set up. No. Nope. <laughs> what, what, it wasn't. Was it just, it, it was just. No, I'll tell you
2: exactly how it came about. I, it was, I did a two-year course in PR. It was a two-year course by night. Okay. And at the end, and I figured most people, it was the first time the PRII had ever done a course in public relations. And I figured most people on that course were paying, were being paid for by their employers. So they were being sent to upskill effectively. Okay. I was paying for myself a great respect for my own time and my own money. So I'd spent two nights a week for the year, and at the end of the year they asked you to write a set of proposals. And what they recommended was that you would write the proposals for a company that you knew. So it'd be easy for me, if I know you, to say, Linda, would you mind? I'll do your company, I'll write the proposals for you. And we then we had to cost the proposals and we'd submit them for an exam process. And I reckoned that was an awful waste of time. Because if I know you, you won't break my heart. So if I give you rubbish. You will yes. sit there and say, that's very interesting. And I hadn't actually thought of it from that perspective. And you'd be very kind and very nice. If I don't know you, you'd say, this is rubbish. I wouldn't pay for this. Right? So I talked my way into a company who didn't know me. And I said to him, I'd spend six weeks researching the company. I'd write the the proposals. I'd cost them. And I'd give them to him. And he could do anything he liked with them. If he thought they were brilliant, he could implement them. He could hand them to somebody to them. I didn't care. But I wanted a critical commercial analysis of those proposals. And the guy, with hindsight, the guy was wonderful. He smoked a big fat cigar back in the day. Uh, and he had one of those faces that never changed. It wouldn't matter if you said to him, like, your wife has just given birth to your first child. Or there's a little gurrier out there beating the living daylights out of your beamer. He'd go, uh-huh. uh-huh. aha, <laughs> aha, nothing, right? So when I came back to him, he went through everything in the proposals. Where did you find this? Why did you do that? What? To, uh, how did you identify that? And then said, are you prepared to implement them? And it was literally that easy. It was that whim where I said, yes, but I'm setting up at the moment. It'll be about six weeks uh, before I can actually take on the business. And he said, fine. And I remember coming down and sitting because his office was upstairs and I, I was parked downstairs in the, the office block. And I came down, sat in the car. And I remember thinking this is either the smartest or the dumbest thing I've ever done. I don't know <laughs> which, but I was actually perfectly happy that I would give it a year. And that if it didn't work after a year, what the heck, I tried it. Yeah. And I've just, I've been in PR ever since. I love it. But it, it really, this. it wasn't a very, you know, it wasn't a planned, I need no, to go into business. It was what a great idea. I could, I I could take clients. I'll do
0: this. <laughs> Are you feeling a little stuck, both professionally and personally? You want to create healthy daily habits, but you become overwhelmed. I have created the five habits challenge just for you. Hey, it's Linda, a.k.a. The Habit Boss, and I designed the Five Habits Challenge, The Pathway to Progress. These are five simple habits to hold you accountable. Give me 30 days and I will help you create five simple habits that propel you forward, both personally and professionally. Check out the Five Habits Challenge in the show notes or go to www.corporatecamp.com. And now let's get on with the show
1: and so if you, you, you say that about crisis management is just one part of the business now. so somebody comes to you if like the the shit has hit the fan um, and yeah. what steps should a business take before that you're talking yourself out of work now but like is there anything that you see businesses and you're like my god if only you had of implemented x y and z and you no, would have I'm, got
2: to I'm not talking step. myself out of work um, because the it it my job is actually easier if you've done some of the work in advance. You'll still okay. be in a crisis, okay? Yeah. Um. So I suppose that three things. One is actually identify the crisis that's likely to hit. Identify both the likely and the unlikely. Okay. So if you're an airport, you know that it's likely that you'll have long queues and flight delays, and you'll have emergency landings, and you'll have flights that need to be diverted to other airports, and they're all the likely. And the unlikely is that a a truck, a fuel truck, will crash into the terminal. Unlikely, but it may happen. So your first is to literally do this big, long list. And the second is to do a crisis plan. So what happens if a, a plane needs to land in an emergency? Who's responsible for looking after that plane and getting it on the ground? Who's responsible for contacting the fire brigade? Who's responsible for communicating with people and saying this is what's happening? Who's responsible for making all the other planes go away? to some other airport or whatever so you, you literally you, you scope it out and as part of that you scope out and who's responsible for dealing with the media and the third thing you need to do is choose that spokesperson really well and get the media trained like well in advance of any crisis ever happening somebody who is very calm who has an ability to absorb a huge amount of information because crisis is very real so you've got, on there's this and there's this and there's this and, there's this, and there's this. And you have a mountain of information coming at you. And you need to be the person who says, OK, now let me communicate that and not cause panic and not tell a lie. But tell people, let people, in a crisis, the most important thing you can do is let people know that somebody in charge knows what they're doing. That's the most important thing we all want to know, because we know that whatever has happened has happened. There has been an explosion. Somebody has died. Whatever it is, no matter how serious, what you really want to know is, but at least that person is is from a company that knows what they're doing. So they can tell you what steps are in place. And it doesn't in any way take away from my job because I do a lot of reviewing of crisis plans. So I would go in and look at your crisis plan and say, but there's a hole here. You've nobody to do this piece. You've you've fallen off a cliff at this point because in a crisis, you don't have time to change things. You really need to roll things out very fast. And then the other side of it is on the the spokesperson side, very often even a trained spokesperson will say, this is the crisis that has just hit. And I'll often get a call at two o'clock in the day and somebody will be on the six o'clock news and I won't know them. They'll have been recommended by somebody. And it'll be a case of this is the organization. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what's just happened. And now I need to make a, a statement or I need to do an interview. How do I cope with it? And it's actually putting that it's being an outside voice that says, OK, but you don't need people to know that. Because you know when you're in a crisis yourself, everything runs through your head? Yeah. Yeah. And very often somebody outside says, all I need to know is will you manage to get a bus there on time? Yeah, that's all. At the end of the day, I don't need to know all the stress that went into it in advance. And that's the benefit of an outside consultant, I suppose, and getting that messaging sharp and tight and down to. Very often, like a, a sound bite, yeah, that, that can't be broken up, but that actually says to people, all as well, we're, we're in. It, there has been a crisis, and the other thing that's really useful um, in advance of a crisis is to get the legal sorted out. Legal people, I love legal people, um, that that's my piece first, right? But yeah. their job is to tell you to say nothing. That's the most careful thing. The best advice any legal person can say to you in a crisis is say nothing, say absolutely nothing. Right. So a member of staff has died. Um, whatever you do say nothing because the legal implication is that you've been responsible if you phrase it in the wrong way people will say we need to sue the company and PR advice would always be get the legal sorted out early because you're going to say something Um, and you may end up saying when Mary came into work this morning god bless her she never expected that she wouldn't go home right yeah You haven't said we're responsible for it, but you're saying the staff are devastated, we're devastated, our family are devastated. Uh, There's a way of saying it. So get that legal done early, because if you say nothing, it doesn't matter how much control you have. You look like an automaton, you look like you don't care. And people say, I wouldn't like to work for that company.
1: And are you ever surprised by large organisations that don't have processes in place like you, you walk in and or is it is it just a prerequisite now from a legal standpoint that you have a lot of the bigger like
2: ones have it yeah. Um I think what what surprises me what pleases me I suppose is that they will still say I know what I'm doing I know what I should be doing just come in and tell me have I got it right right so yeah. this is what I'm doing and is it this order of media and these are the different messages and just what am I missing because yeah. I need And outside. It's a bit like um, a legal person. They say a solicitor who has themselves for a solicitor is a fool. You you would always retain another solicitor. PR person would always bring in another PR person. Yeah. Um, And it's just it's good business. It's it's making sure you haven't missed anything. But no, I think most of them have a fairly good idea. I think the ones that we end up doing a lot of work with are the charities and the charities don't have the budgets of the corporates. Okay. so the charities will end up knowing what they should do but they don't have the people, they don't have the time, they would have a less developed process. Yeah. So their crisis will be much more immediate. Um, yeah. It will impact them much harder because they've less that they can fall back on purely because they're monitoring the way they spend the
1: money that comes in. Yeah.
2: And yeah. they're probably not comfortable enough justifying that they need to spend money on crisis,
1: and they yeah. do. What about in recent times um, a, a, a crisis crisis, that you looked at and went, oh, my God, they handled that completely wrongly or they handled that completely correctly. Is there anything that jumps to, to mind?
2: Um, Yeah, there are probably loads of them. But the, the one that, that really springs to mind was, do you remember Tony? Oh, my God, I can't remember his name now. The explosion in the Gulf of Mexico, it's about five years ago now. The, but the explosion that absolutely destroyed um, that whole area of the United States. There was yes. a huge amount of oil leakages people lost their businesses and um, the environment was destroyed I remember watching the team arriving from the UK and they arrived he arrived in he was the chief executive he was a British chief executive and he arrived in with all of his UK team his legal team his PR team and I immediately thought you're in the United States yeah. you don't need a British team you need an American team straight yeah. off a huge mistake I thought because it, it immediately affected the way the communications were even received Because now I haven't got somebody like me talking to me. I've got somebody who is from another country talking to me and telling me what happened. But at one stage, he was interviewed. It cost him his job in the end. And he said, uh, the crisis had been running for about three or four weeks. And he said, I just want to get my life back. Now, I completely understood it. The man probably had hardly any sleep in five or six weeks. And he was constantly being bombarded with information. But it was entirely the wrong thing to say. And what everybody picked up on was he wants to get his life back. There are people who have lost their lives. Yeah, they won't yeah, get their yeah. life back. There are people who've lost their livelihoods. So I think in a, a crisis, probably what what we all forget is that it is very real. It's there's much more going on in the background than in the foreground. So it's not really that somebody mishandles a crisis. It's that one small thing can actually yeah. make the crisis a bigger crisis. So one yeah, mistake. Yeah. Um, We handled a client years ago and he did an interview on Morning Ireland and he used the word maverick as part of the interview. He said that the, the other group, the other company they were dealing with, that they were being controlled by mavericks. And when I rang him, I said to me, the word maverick, it's, it's a terrible word to use. You should use something else. Now, he's. He's flying. Everybody's saying, you're the man, you're the man. Um, And he wasn't based in Dublin. So we were communicating by phone. And he said, look, I did a brilliant interview. I said, you did a fantastic interview. But that one word you should change. And in fairness to him, he came back to me about 10 o'clock in the morning and said, actually, I've just had the unions in complaining um, that that was a unionized workforce. And I was calling them Mavericks and his workforce was unionized. And he said, I'm sorry, I never actually thought the one word would make such a yeah. difference, and it, it went on. That word actually massively impacted the crisis for weeks afterwards.
1: And do you think that um, that it, it, the the examples that you've given there that it it is human error that compounds the? You can have all the standard procedures in place or your management plan and everything but it's actually that's the whole point of you, you made about having the right person in front of the camera and making sure that they're well trained
2: it's not human error it's a lack of somebody in pr saying tell me what you're going to say tell me how you say it. don't yeah. use that word don't say it this way because what ha- people forget that i if you or i watch the television or we watch a, a clip on the phone or whatever it's a small clip and that's our impression of the entire crisis so a word or two wrong will make all the difference to our understanding of what's happening. Yeah. And words make a huge difference. And we assume that people are they're perfectly capable of shrinking an entire crisis into a 45-second soundbite. <laughs> and that's a real skill. And I think even if you're well-practiced, you need to rehearse it with somebody who says, not that word, not in that way. Yeah. You keep looking over here. What's over there? I don't trust you when I lose your eye line, Focus on Linda. Talk to her. Don't mind what's happening over there. Like I'm jumping up and down below. Oh, my God, I don't do it. You can still see me out of the side of your eye. Yeah. Don't lose the icon. Small things like that that make all the difference to how the message is actually received. Because you're telling people the truth and you're trying to tell them as much as you possibly can. And the other thing with the crisis is you can't tell everybody everything because you don't know. You haven't established facts. It's ongoing. Yeah. So you can tell people as you establish things, but you can't speculate. The media could speculate and say it is believed that this happened. But as the spokesperson, you can't. And that adds a huge extra pressure as well.
1: That's It's fascinating. It's so fascinating. When you were sitting in your car uh, so many years ago after going, is this the craziest or is this the most intelligent thing I've ever done? Obviously, you're only starting out in business and um, d- did you delegate anything straight away? Is there stuff that you, you wouldn't even look at now that you're in th- like, say, the accounts or something that now you wouldn't even you're like, geez, I, I think, put, like, you know,
2: I think like everybody who starts off, you do everything yourself. You're a yeah. one man band. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the really good thing about PR is that like I, I started off in public relations. I still do crisis PR Um that led me into training which formed the Irish Academy of PR. That gave me an opportunity to write the book. I've now written three books. Yeah. The book actually led to somebody saying, would you be interested in serving on the board of a radio station? I said, yeah, I'd love to. That ended up with me actually presenting a radio programme for 13 odd years. That allowed me to become chairperson of the radio station. That gave me the opportunity to travel the world. Like, It's been a career that just kept, it's all in the same area. If you look back on it, it's all communications. Yeah, and comes yeah. is communications. But it's it's never been a planned straight line. And I suppose the one big advantage, the delegation piece, the one big advantage now is that I've a fabulous team. Yeah. So I've people who really my my biggest ease, the thing that allows me to enjoy my life so much is that I'm surrounded by people who are passionate about what they do for me. Um, and do it really, really well, yeah. and I think that makes a big difference. When you're starting, you do everything, and it's a huge pressure. And you do stuff that you don't like doing, and you yeah. do stuff that you're not good at. Um, and now I think the the pleasure is that the stuff that I'm not good at, somebody else does. The stuff yeah. that I like doing, probably a lot of the time, somebody else does as well. But I can get into this great debate about it. And yeah. I, I only do the stuff that I'm that I'm really passionate about. So I, I reckon my job most of the time is to meet people, network, generate new business, get new ideas. Yeah. So it's either coming back and saying, I met this person who actually needs training. So we need to set up, we set up a call and do training for them. Or that I met this person and you wouldn't believe what they're doing. So I want you to contact them. I told them you'd be in touch and get a pipe of their information coming into our information. I I want what they're seeing. So it's that's really my job. And it's changed completely from when I, I first set up.
1: What gets you out of bed in the morning besides work? Like, is there anything it, like habit wise that's non-negotiable for you? Like, would you do something every day for yourself? I bounce out of bed every morning. I,
2: I literally I, every I don't morning it. win <laughs> it on. Like, the thing that I love about every day is that, you know, you know what's planned for the day. So you know, the yeah. meetings, you know, the Zooms and you know all that stuff. But every single day something different happens. Like, yesterday i I knew the whole day was scheduled a bit like today a bit like every day like it's it's a mad day but i was nominated for an award yesterday i was nominated for an award yesterday for most outstanding moment of the year how cool is that by global tv very cool thank you i love that and that (laughs) actually gets me out of bed every morning it's i love doing the stuff that i know i will be doing but it's all the other stuff that comes in the non-negotiables um breakfast with tony usually if i can and um, usually if I can so it's obviously not non-negotiable <laughs> but I'm an early bird so I'll be up at half five he gets up at around seven so we'd we'd stop I would stop to have breakfast at eight so we'd, we'd start the day with breakfast together and then the day goes absolutely mad uh, but I really like that I must say yeah um, non-negotiable that I never take work outside of the home office if I'm at home I have an office at home always have had um, so I don't work on a laptop in the sitting room and I don't do work in the kitchen and I don't I won't take a phone call Um, downstairs if I'm downstairs I literally walk up into the office if it's a business call yeah business is business home is home so I suppose that's and the other is my phone Um, I use my phone so much for business that unless I'm if I'm handling crisis it's like glued to my ear super glued Um, but if I'm not which is 90% of the time then my phone stays in the office it gets plugged in in the office and I'm finished for the evening so yes. I won't bring it out when I'm going out in the evening. I won't bring my phone with me when I I go on holidays. I only check it for like half an hour each day. Um, I, I literally put it away. I figure I don't do heart surgery. You know, people, if people really need me, they can get me. And actually, one of the things I've said to there was one client who said to me quite recently. So that's fine because uh, I said I, I put the phone away in the evening just to let you know you won't get me until the early hours the next morning. I said that's fine, but if there's a crisis, what do we do? Is said you get into a taxi, you drive to my home, you have my home address, and you bang on the door. You'll get me, but you won't get me on a phone. You can you can leave all these meltdown messages. It doesn't matter. It's in a different room. I can't hear it. The sound is down because I literally just put it away for the evening. So I suppose they're my non-negotiables.
1: And how how long did it take you to create that boundary? Because that's a huge. That's that that is. I I think. Where a lot of people would like to be, but maybe they're, you know, they're they're still creating business by themselves and everything like that. Would you it's, say that it's was
2: very difficult? It's very difficult yeah. to do it if you're if you're if you're one person band. Yeah. It's very difficult to do it, and um, because your fear is that you're missing work, and that somebody will ask you at eight o'clock at night, and by like ten o'clock the next morning they've given the job to somebody else, which does happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I it, it took years to be fair. I'd say a good yeah. twenty years. Before before I even became confident enough to like when you start working for yourself, you take every job that's going. Yeah. Because it, it pays the bills and you, you don't want to be irresponsible. But about twenty years in you look and go, I don't want to work for that Muppet. I I don't <laughs> you know, I just don't like them. I, I don't like what they yeah. do. I do or just it's a personality thing. Yeah. You know, he's a difficult man to work with. Yeah. And actually that lesson I learned from a colleague of mine, I was dealing with a man who always called me Sir. So good morning sir and every time i say no i'm definitely not a sir oh i'm sorry I'm, I'm so used to dealing with men in business and it drove me insane and he was a neanderthal to be fair to him now he really was yeah, yeah. but i was telling a colleague of mine and she said "And why are you working for him and i said hello you know pays the bills yeah and she said i didn't think you had to do that if you work for yourself and it was just a comment it was a throwaway and maybe i don't know a week later i was thinking about it and i thought she's absolutely right if i work for another company and they say, this is the client you must handle. Then that's the client I must handle. I'm working yeah. for you. You've given me the job. But if I'm working for myself, I should be looking at this guy saying, do I really want to work for this guy? Yeah. So I, I decided at that stage that what I would do is if I really didn't want to work for you, I'd just double my fee. And nobody yes. ever accepted it. But that's what I was, I was I, saying.
1: Did, did ever somebody go? No.
2: But, but I rant? remember an account exec coming into me at one stage and saying, this looks very expensive. Um. Are are you sure this is right? And I said, Yeah, I don't like them. I don't want to work for them. Yeah. Um I I don't think they're our kind of people. Yeah. But so I doubled the fee and she said, What happens if they come back and they say yes? I said, Oh then we work for them. Because the pain is twice the amount it's a hundred percent markup. Yeah. We work for them, but nobody ever did. But yes. it's yes. I often wondered afterwards, it was the kind of PR people will tell you that you, you put a larger markup on it or you say that you're, you know, because of client conflict or something, you can't do it. I've often wondered, does it apply to other industries? I mean, now I would actually say to you, to be honest, no, not my kind of thing. Wouldn't be bothered. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not interested in X. So, right. like, anything to do with sport, I'm just not interested in sport. You you couldn't make me interested in it. Like, I fall asleep. Tony used to play football years ago, right? He'd live and prove me in sport. So Tony used to play football years ago. And at one stage, oh, before we were married, I said, right, I'll go out and I'll watch the football match, dear. So one of the guys on the sidelines came over to me and said, wow, Tony's just scored his hat trick. And I said, what's a hat trick? And he's a soccer player. And he said his third goal. And I said, oh, my God, as true "True's God, the only person I know on the pitch is Tony. And I missed all three matches, all three goals. Right? Never saw one of them because I was there looking at legs, ball, legs, ball. How boring is this? So my brain is going off to I must do this. I must do that. Oh, there's an interesting thought. Yeah, I'll jot this down. I missed them all. Um, So I I gave up going to his matches after that. But literally, I would be much, years ago I would have said, well sport, mm, yeah, maybe we will pitch at an expensive price. Now i just tell you I'm just not interested in sport. I just wouldn't do it.
1: I think though, even from chatting to people on the podcast over the past couple of years, values have really come into play with people and they will just say isn't it, If you can even see people now and it's like, I really need this to pay the bills, but my my values won't allow me to take to take the job as well but well,
2: that's really good because mm. if you think about the the larger corporations they all really strive very hard to be ethical i honestly believe that it's like yeah. political parties they really yeah. try to be as ethical and as value driven as they possibly can but somewhere along the line corporates lose that ability for the, the lower levels to percolate up to the upper levels and say yeah. this isn't working for me this isn't good this is what we're seeing so I think the, the change in values will actually be really good um, for corporates worldwide because if staff start leaving you because you're not reflecting their values, you want to survive as a company, you've got to sit down with staff and say, what values are we not reflecting? How are we getting this wrong? What are we doing? We're doing our best, but we're, we're misfiring somehow. How are we misfiring? So I think it will actually make corporates, hopefully the world, a better place because people are much more values driven. Yeah, They're they're values driven in their purchases. So from a corporate point of view, people won't buy from you. If you like, why would I buy from you if you don't reflect my values? I can buy from somebody else who does. So it it has a huge impact on the bottom line. And if if money is God and every business needs money to survive and every business needs customers to survive and everybody knows the rule that it's much easier to keep a customer you have than to find a new one, then it makes a huge amount of sense to start focusing much more on that value system. But the challenge for companies, so what we're seeing in, in Medicons, we're seeing all these little pieces percolating through and the big challenge for companies is to look at your value set. So if you're the consumer and I look at you and I say, okay, you're interested in, let's just say, you're interested in the environment. You're interested in women's equality. Um, pick a few issues. From their point of view, they're looking at all these pieces percolating through and saying, these are the trends for environment and these are the trends on women's issues. So we should do this and we should do this. And actually, they shouldn't. They yeah. should they should own one area so that if you come in and say, I'm really into the environment. In, in theory, if you held the conversation and said, I'm really into the environment and you're not. And they said, look, we do the minimum in the environment. But have you seen what we do in equality? We are awesome. We have 60 percent. We've 50-50. We started five years ago. We now have 50 percent men, 50 percent women. And those 50 percent in the last five years, we have made as diverse as possible. Have a look at that mix. Have a look at the amount of women that we have um, at different levels of the board. Have a look at that handbag you're carrying is designed by a woman 10 years ago would have been designed by a man. So that if they choose just one, but they really ace it. Yeah, forgive them the other stuff. Right, You go, yeah, that's fair enough. I, you actually are really yeah. doing that. The, the danger is that they look at all of these pieces percolating through and they try to be all things to everybody
1: and right. you can't. Yeah. Um, you fra- you fra- fragment one message or, or two messages. It's like, I suppose it's it's, it's the the essence of nation and in your value, values really as well, isn't it?
2: It is because if I say to you that we're, we're really good on the environment and we're really good on equality, we're probably not. We're probably good on both. Right. But we're not excellent on either. And if you're really into both, you'll say, no, actually, on the environment, you know, you're still using a recyclable plastic. You could actually be using, what did I hear of recently? There's a way that you can make seaweed, that seaweed can be used to create a fully digestible, what looks like plastic um, that you can eat. Mm-hmm. So you're not as environmentally friendly as you say you are. But if you say we're not, but have a look on the equality side and you look at it and go, oh, yeah, oh, you're brilliant over there. Yeah i get it so you it's not that you're you're being unkind to the environment you're just not acing it in that you're just not choosing that as your key priority but i think that's the big challenge because we all have values in different areas Mm -hmm. um, and we are very values driven but we're also very forgiving we don't expect the world to be perfect absolutely we do expect people to make an effort but we don't expect it to be perfect
1: and Do you have any more, could you have any more projects in the pipeline? I mean, we we spoke earlier about your one week off in the year last week. So it's like.
2: (laughs) Normally I'm good. I take loads of short breaks, I should say. So every time I travel and speak, I'll add on a couple of days. And usually Tony will come over and add on a couple of days as well. He's an artist. So every time he gets an exhibition opening like we did weekend in London a couple of weeks ago we're doing Belfast in a couple of weeks because he was in the Royal Academy in London in June he's in the Royal Ulster Academy next month I'm not sure when so I do a lot of those kind of short breaks Um, and generally holidays are actually well planned just this year they completely went (laughs) mad my project if I had time for another project I haven't but the thing that's at the back of my head is that I'd love to write a book on metacoms on futurology on what we're seeing Uh, I think it would I think it would be fascinating because I keep doing these mini micro blogs of have you thought about this have you thought about that have a look at this and they're they're tiny little pieces um to actually get my teeth into another book and do here's kind of what the world might look like
1: in the future. Gosh it would be so welcome because I remember um at the Nomad Era conference we could have listened for another hour on on the information it's trying to filter all that information into the time allotted because there is so much isn't there it's just it was was absolutely um fascinating Uh, tell me something not a lot of people know about you
2: Uh, thank you for that compliment by the way (laughs) (laughs) um oh what do people not know about me well i I probably preempted it by telling you about tony so my other life is as what i call whoa w-o-a which is wife of artist right so I go into my I'm doing my wife of artist thing I need I need a new dress every time right because you know I'm wife of artist I'm not me I'm a different person entirely Um, and I become his PR person so when he he exhibited in Royal Academy in London so I ended up flying over for their varnishing day varnishing day is exclusively for artists none of the rest of us muckers are allowed in at all (laughs) so it's the artists and it's the academicians and it's a big deal day and they they do it they do this big procession down to a church. They have this multi-denominational service um, to sort of bless the artists and their work. They have a, a, a carnival band, a Caribbean band to play them back up the street again. They all go inside and, eat, you know, drink Prosecco and quaff smoked salmon or something. But <laughs> I went over especially for the day to get photographs of him with the president and the other really well-known artists. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, and that's my other hat. And that's just pure pleasure. And then we went over again a week later because I wasn't as a mere mucker, I wasn't allowed in to see his painting on the wall and I wanted to see it on the wall. So we flew over a second time. So my my wife of artist
1: hat Perfect.
2: I love. It. It's it's completely different, but I really yeah. enjoy it.
1: A great, a great balance and act. Um at Corporate Cam, we're all about It's creating our own happiness and making leaps and bounds to create our own happiness. And it sounds like you have done that over the years, Ellen. What advice would you have for somebody who is thinking about a career changer, thinking about starting their own business from a corporate position or thinking about they're in corporate and they want to just change roles within corporate? What would you say to them?
2: I reckon that if it interests you, if it really is your passion, you should just say yes to it. And the biggest fear is that you don't succeed. And if you think like the Americans, right, we're we're very negative in Ireland. So if you don't succeed, people go, whatever made her think she could do X or he could do X? God almighty, oh the dogs in the street knew that was never going to succeed. <laughs> what a crazy idea. Like we're great at knowing with hindsight that something was a really dumb idea. The Americans will say, good on you. You gave it a try. What are you doing next? And I think if you flip your mindset into really... Does it matter what they think about me? Who's they? I don't care what they think. So what I care about is I think this is a brilliant idea and I'm going to go for it. But in my head, I'm very happy that I will give it everything. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I move on to my next dastardly plan. I think I I, I did this for a talk about a year or two ago. And I I reckoned that I've I've always had a very happy life. I'm I'm very lucky. I, I love what I do. I'm very happy. And I reckon the reason is because I was totally selfish and always said yes to the stuff that I really enjoyed and no to the stuff that I didn't. Yeah. And I think you can't go too far wrong. Absolutely. And in your head, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's whether or not you were happy doing it. And if you were happy that you gave it a try, good on
1: you. Move on to the next piece, even if it didn't work.
2: And if it works, then the begrudges were all wrong
1: anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Is there anything else that you'd like to share?
2: Is there anything you haven't picked out of my brains? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ellen, where can people find you? Where can they, if, if they're interested in Metacoms or any of the data that you've already driven, which is a huge amount, where where can they find you?
2: So Metacoms is metacoms.com. Um, they can get me at Ellen at Metacoms. That's two T's and two M's. M-E-T-T-A-C-O-M-M-S.com. Or you can get me on LinkedIn, Ellen Gunning P-R. I love linking in with people. LinkedIn, I have to tell you, just as a by the by, is my favorite social media platform. The business has all platforms. I personally use LinkedIn because they're real people and I can connect. And I just, I'm a, I said at the beginning, I'm a serial networker. So link in with me and metacoms.com for the, the site.
1: Ellen, thank you so much for being part of the Corporate Cam Podcast. I really appreciate your time. Linda, I had a ball. Thanks for asking me. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Corporate to Cam podcast. Please subscribe, leave a nice review. It really does make a difference. Or simply come back and listen to us next time. My name is Linda Monaghan, inspiring you to take that leap from corporate to cam.